Today we're starting the book of Isaiah, and um, it, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, so obviously we're starting in chapter 1, and right out of the gate, Isaiah tells us who he is, and he tells us when he when he was active. He saw, he worked during the reigns of four different kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So he wrote what he wrote over a long period of time, over decades. And um, what we know, I think it's the Talmud that tells us, but um, historically speaking, um, Isaiah was a prince, which makes him kind of unique among the prophets. And you see, you when you read in other books like Chronicles, for instance, or probably Kings as well, I don't remember, um, you, you see Isaiah show up. Whereas the other prophets during the history books, you, you don't really, they're, they're not really mentioned so much. Um, Isaiah is mentioned a lot, yeah, his interactions with Hezekiah particularly. But um, so he, uh, he was apparently the cousin of the King Uzi, Uzziah, who's about king maybe during the first five or so books of Isaiah, and, uh, sorry, chapters of Isaiah. So I think his, their dads were brothers, I believe is how it goes. And so he was in the courts. He was, you know, very well educated. You know, some of the prophets are just like simple farm. I think Amos was just a basic farmer. I, I say basic. I, I don't, yeah, I'm not trying to disparage farmers. I want to be a farmer. But, um, um, you know, a farmer is you don't think of as a highly literary man. Um, they're, they're somebody who works the ground. And God called him to be a prophet. Well, Isaiah would have been had the finest education. And um, he would have been in the courts. Which generally we think of the courts of any kingdom as being a pretty corrupt place. And um, and certainly we see that with a lot of the kings, but it, a lot of the courtiers as well uh, are good, generally going to be corrupt. But Isaiah stood for God, and he was in in the courts and speaking the truth of God. And what we'll see a lot of is Isaiah speaks to the coming downfall of both Israel and Judah, and also a lot of nations around them. But of course, he cares more about Israel and most about Judah. And he knows, based on everything that he uh, preaches, teaches, and prophecies, that his words aren't going to do any good for anyone alive. Um, which makes it really incredible that that he did what he did because um, he he didn't. You know that could that could be um, that could be very disheartening to know <laughs> that you're never going to see. Uh, any kind of good fruit from from your lifelong work. You're going to spend your time warning people, telling people how judgment's going to come and they need to repent and turn around, but they're not going to repent and turn around. But you know from the Lord that one day these amazing, wonderful things are going to happen. And he was able to prophesy how the, the people would come back from captivity. You know, he knew about the captivity that would come you know, a hundred years later, uh, that that people would be taken captive by a foreign nation, and he knew that there would later be a king named Cyrus, who would not believe in God, but 
would be directed by God to save the people and send them back to Judah. And he knew that one day there would be a great kingdom, a new Jerusalem, that would be everlasting, would be far more glorious than the current one. And so he knew all these things from the Lord, but he didn't see them. You know, he never got to experience that. And and yet he, you know, he didn't shy away from the work. He he did the work the Lord gave him to do, even though he never saw any of the of the benefit. Hebrews 11 talks about the faith chapter. All these great men of the Bible who worked in faith, never seen the fullness of what they talked about. I don't even think Isaiah is mentioned in that. But some of those guys got to see some pretty glorious stuff. Isaiah didn't at all. I mean, he was totally working in faith. He didn't see anything glorious happen. He, he, but he put down the words. And now he's this incredible prophet for centuries and millennia later that we can all look at and say, wow, what an amazing man of God. Um, and so I, I just think that's cool. I think it's Ezekiel that um, God says, hey, look, I'm going to give you the words and you're going to speak this word of judgment and a call to repentance to people and they're not going to listen to you. But if you don't speak the words, if you think, oh, well, they're not going to listen to me, so I'm not going to bother speaking the words, then their judgment is on your head because you didn't give them the final warning from me. But if you do speak the words and they don't repent, then their final judgment is on them and you have no faults because you did what I asked you to do. Well, he probably said something similar to a lot of these prophets that gave these kind of stark words of warning, judgment. Um, but but I think it was Ezekiel that actually wrote that down. <laughs> I'm doing this because God said I have to do this and this is why. Um, so I, I think these these men that, that did this sort of thing, uh, Jeremiah, I mean a lot of them, they're just incredible that... Uh, that, that they just put their lives on the line and lived what was probably a really difficult life, um, not even seeing the thing that they spent their whole life talking about. Um, it's pretty incredible. But, um, but then, in, you know, for us, we can look back. And that's why you see when Jesus said, you killed the prophets. And, and now you, you say, our, our fathers killed the prophets um, but now you worship them as prophets, but your fathers killed them. And so you're going to turn around, and you're going to kill me just as your fathers killed the other prophets because your hearts still aren't right. What he's saying is that's the way of religion. Um, we, we won't accept a, a messenger of God, a servant of the Lord, um, but we revere the ones that are obviously messengers of God, servants of the Lord from the past. Well, you, when you look at Isaiah, I don't see how any person can read Isaiah and understand the history in the New Testament, what happened with Jesus, and not admit, obviously, this this is an incredible man of God. He predicted uh, that Babylon would totally crush uh, Judah and take them away into captivity, and then he predicted the exact name of the king that would send them back into Judah so they could repopulate a land? What other people in the history of the world has that happened to? None. There's nothing like that in the history of the world. And yet it happened, and he predicted it exactly. And then he predicted Jesus and exactly what it would look like, the way Jesus would suffer. And all this way before it happened, way before his life ended, I mean, way after his life ended. Um, So everyone reveres Isaiah now is this amazing prophet because look at all the things he 
he was able to see before they happened that the Lord shared with him. And yet at the time, you know, people actually he he got better treatment than than others, maybe because he was a prince or, you know, like Hezekiah listens to him. Um, you know, there's he didn't get the worst treatment of the prophets, but um, but still people at the time are like, oh, yeah, 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 you, you know, man of God, blah, blah, blah. Um, he, he certainly got that. And, and all, you know, prophets are often, uh, you know, scorned or beaten or killed, as Jesus said. And yet um, we look back at them and say, oh, they were such holy men. Well, <laughs> if you don't accept the messengers of God that God sends in today, you wouldn't have accepted those then. And um, so it just kind of shows the heart of man. But this is why God brings about difficulties, judgment on the world, because it helps people wake up and become aware, wait a minute, there's some real serious stuff going on here. I need to actually pay attention to the spiritual world, the spiritual life. Who is this God and what is he doing? Um, I need to wake up to these things. And then they become awake to a messenger of God. And so that was a long buildup, but now I'm going to jump into um, Isaiah. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to, uh, a little more intro here. So it's it's a little bit uh, intimidating to comment on any of the Bible, but particularly books like this, because there's so much hidden deep meaning that I won't, there's, I'm not even trying, I'm not pretending that I'm covering all the meaning in here. Um, some of it will be revealed to me many years from now. Uh, some of it I might never know because it wasn't important for me to know. <laughs> it was for somebody else. Um, some of it I will share. Some of it I've probably, the Lord showed me things before and I won't even remember anymore. Um, the, the Lord uses, the, the main point of prophecy is to speak the life of God into a people, to reorient a person's life and a people's life into living the way of God and being led by his spirit. That's the point of prophecy, not predicting future events. I mean, yes, predicting future events clearly happens, as I've mentioned, um, but it's, it's to bring about the life of God. That is God's purpose for man, and that is God's purpose for Scripture. And so, um, as we read it, um, we're, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm speaking what comes to mind for me on this read-through. I'm sure I've thought other things, other times, I might even have other things that I don't even choose to speak right now because it's just not in the flow of what I'm doing. So again, this is not, and that is true of all this. I'm I'm doing an entire Bible commentary in a year. It's the plan. It seems to be working. Um, obviously, I mean, obviously that's not thorough. That's not really possible to be thorough. Um, and even if I was, even if I knew it all, um, and so I don't pretend to know it all. I know the Lord's going to continue revealing things to me. And as I said, I'm sure there's things he's revealed to me in the past. I won't even think to bring up. Um, that's not the point. The point of what I'm doing, because I'm just flying through the scriptures, basically, is 
I'm, as I read the scripture, I'm telling you the thoughts that come to my head. And I, my prayer is that that is a blessing to you. So now we'll get started. So verse 2, he begins by saying, Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. So he's declaring to all creation, The sons I have reared up and brought up, but they have revolted against me. So this, this speaks to God's plan, which is to raise up sons. He was his original plan with Adam and Eve. We saw even before, why did the flood come to Noah? It's because the sons of God went after their own way. He is always intended to have sons that, that are raised up after his way. And he says, look, I'm trying to do that with it, you people, but you've revolted against me. An ox knows its owner and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know my people. My people do not understand. In other words, simple animals understand who their master is. And you've been created in my image. And you don't seem to understand that I am your maker. I am the one who's created you and I've created you with a purpose. Alas, you're sinful. Sons who act corruptly, who have abandoned the Lord. He says, you're begging for punishment. Your whole heart is sick. Your heart and your head are sick. Your entire body is sick and diseased. Your land is desolate. Your city is burned with fire. He's like, look, I've done all this to get your attention. And you're, you're just ignoring me. Foreigners are plundering your fields, destroying everything they see. This is Zion, which is the true heart of, of God's, uh, God's kingdom on earth, is abandoned. Uh, unless the Lord le- leaves a few survivors, we'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah, which were completely destroyed. He said, you rulers, you're basically like the rulers of Sodom. You know, he's getting his attention. Look, I destroyed them, and you're like them. Give ear to the instruction of God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? So he says, I don't care about your sacrifices. You're just, you're going through ritual, but I've had enough of burnt offerings of ram, the fat of cattle. I had take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. So again, he's given the law. They're doing the law, but he's like, that's not the point. The point isn't that I want you to do these rituals. The point is I want you to come to me in your heart, in your head, and worship me and look to me for direction. He goes on to talk about um, incense, new moons, uh, Sabbaths. Those are all things that God said to do. And he said, you you do not have the right heart when you do any of these things. You are not okay. Spirit of religion says, as long as I do X, Y, and Z, I'm good with God and I don't have to think about God anymore. I can go my own way. He said, no. The point of these things was to continually remind you to come back to me, be a way for you to connect with me. They are not meant to be a religion that helps you assuage your guilt and therefore live apart from me. That's completely the opposite of why I gave you these things. He says, you can pray all you want. I'm not going to listen. Your hands are covered in blood. But he, he's always calling to them, wash yourselves, make yourself clean, remove the evil from you, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And he offers a promise and a way out of this destruction. He says, come, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. There is a way out. 
Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the lamb. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So this is still true today. This is always true. Uh, There's certain times in history where these, these movements are sort of nationwide or global. Um, but the, and, and, and we happen to live in a day like this, and, and they were living in a day like this. Uh, although, again, I mean... Well, if he's speaking to Israel, their destruction was coming a lot sooner. Judah's destruction, probably the people that are alive listening to him right now wouldn't be alive when that happened. But uh, nevertheless, it's got happening. In our individual lives, these things are always true. So then 21, he says, how the faithful city has become a harlot. So he's saying Zion um, is has turned away from him, has gone after other things, is a harlot, a, a prostitute. Um, she who is full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers, your silver's become dross, your drink diluted with water, your rulers are rebels. You've turned away from me. I, I, my plan for you was to be this holy, beautiful city filled with my love, my wisdom, my truth, but you've completely turned away from me and made it like every other degraded, degraded city. He says, I will turn my hands against you because of this. But he says, look, I'm still going to use you. It's just not going to be pleasant for you. You could be one of the ones I use. But if you don't go your way, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. It's just going to be painful and ugly for you. Uh, So in 25, I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and will remove all your alloy. So what that means is if you take a metal, like a silver or gold, any metal, when you find it in the ground, it has a lot of dirt, maybe other metals. It's got just other junk in it, so it's not pure. And then they smelt it, and they they you know filter it so that it gets cleaner. And then they and then they have let's say it's silver, and then they do that, and then they've got a little more clean silver, but still not purely clean. So then they do it again. They melt it and they filter it. I'm not using the right words, but just words everyone knows. And then you get silver that's even more clean. But if you want it cleaner, you do it even more. And, uh, and you continue this process. Well, if you're the piece of silver and you're getting melted, that's brutally painful, right? But at the end, you come out of it and you're more pure. And so he's saying, I will do this to you. And then I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city, Zion will be redeemed with justice and her repentant ones with righteousness. So he's saying the, the ones, he says, there will be some that I take through this process and they will be made clean and holy and they will represent me. God will have a spotless bride. The you know, scripture makes clear. And so what we see here is that the, the countries of Israel and Judah were nothing of the sort. And God said, I will do away with you because I need a people that represents me, my holiness, my righteousness, my, my wisdom, my love. I need a people that represents me to the world. And you're not that people. And so I will do away with you. And he will do the same thing in our day. But we, we are living in a day that Isaiah longed to see, that all these, all these great men of the Bible longed to see. And so he, this is what he is doing. And, um, and then we're on to chapter two.
You know, I might end. I'm almost at 20 minutes, and I like to keep the recordings around that length of time. Um, so I'm just going to make this an intro video, and then I'm going to make another video for chapter two as soon as I, as soon as I stop this one, just so it's not a, an incredibly long video. Um, I do want to say one more word about prophecy, which is kind of introductory to all the prophets. So the things he's saying, and, and you can, I, I just flipped to chapter two, and it's super obvious, so maybe I should leave that for chapter two, but, um, Often the words of the prophets had a very literal, obvious meaning in the shorter term, you know, which to us was thousands of years ago, but to them was maybe next year, maybe in 30 years, but short term for them, which to us is ancient. Um, but those words, but the Lord, those, those words are filled with life of God and God uses those words to teach and direct us. And so when the Spirit leads, it's not that every word is absolutely implies that something specific is going to happen in our day, but often there are parts, like this, as chapter 2 starts, is very clearly talking about our day. I would say it talks about our day more than, more than their day. Um, but it applied to both. And, um, and, and so and it can apply to multiple different, it can apply to the people of God in multiple different generations throughout time. And it can speak to a person who's maybe even not in a time where that specifically is going on, but it can speak to a person. So the Lord uses scripture for all sorts of ways. And so getting hung up on, well, this applied. I know there's a passage when Jesus talks about, um, the abomination of desolation. Um, and so some people get really hung up on, well, that happened in the year 70, and so that has no bearing on today. Well, no, it absolutely has bearing on today. Uh, it very clearly does if you read it and you're open to that. But if you're dogmatic on this one prophecy can only have one meaning, then then you get lost because, you know, you're you're, you're missing things. And so the, the point of scripture, as I mentioned earlier, is to point us to the life of God more than it is to point out particulars of the future. Um, knowing what are the particular events that are going to happen in the future. It's cool when God shows you those things, but it's not really important. What's important is the life of God flowing in you and through you. And that's what all this scripture is for. And that's what all these, this prophetic scripture is for. And so I'll wrap up this this video now. I'm gonna as soon as I post it, I'm gonna turn around and record another one. Uh, God bless you.